Welcome to the New Books Network. The Book of Kohelet, or Ecclesiastes, is one of the most challenging biblical books to comprehend, yet it is traditionally read on every Sukkot, the Feast of Booths. In a groundbreaking work, David Kerwin draws from traditional sources and modern scholarship to take us on an eye-opening journey through Kohelet and other books of the Tanakh. Starting with a look at the life of King Solomon, whose successes and failures are reflected in the teachings of Kohelet, Kerwin then presents linguistic and thematic evidence, suggesting strong parallels between the life of Adam and that of Solomon, and between the book of Kohelet and the opening chapters of Genesis. Tune in as we speak with David Kerwin about his book, Kohelet, A Map to Eden. You're listening to New Books and Jewish Studies, a channel of the New Books Network, and I'm your host, Michael Morales. David Kerwin is an independent scholar who has researched and published widely on the Bible, Jewish thought and philosophy, and Hebrew language. His writings, both academic and popular, have appeared in periodicals such as Tradition, Hakira, and Jewish Bible Quarterly. David, welcome to New Books and Jewish Studies. Good to be here. David, tell us about yourself and how you came to explore the book of Ecclesiastes or Kohelet. Okay, sure. Um, I, I grew up in, in the United States. I lived in Rochester, New York, San Francisco, Boston, uh, but I've been living in Israel since uh, 1996. Um, I I studied Torah and Bible in what I think is a very special institution. It's no longer uh, open, uh, closed a number of years ago, but it was it was the Yeshiva of the Religious Kibbutz Movement on Kibbutz Ein Surim. And it had teachers from many different backgrounds. And it was a great place to learn a number of, of different techniques of how to study the Bible. Um, I I didn't go into the rabbinate. I didn't go into academic, and I'm not a rabbi or, or a teacher. But I have I developed a real love for um, biblical studies and for Hebrew language in particular. Um, in more recent years, I've come to particularly admire the methodologies of Professor Jonathan Grossman of Barlow University and Rabbi David Foreman of Aleph Beta, who both have done uh, amazing things with inter- intertextuality where verses in one book can shed light in another. A classic example of this might be how uh, verses in the book of Esther compared to the story of Joseph in Genesis and make you understand both stories are in a different way. That's that's sort of a dimensionality. So after many years of finding Kohelet, which I find easier to save in Ecclesiastes, so I hope your listeners will pardon me for, for using Kohelet, I found, it, I found a very difficult, very difficult book, even tedious, um, Actually, kind of a funny story is many years ago, I actually broke my glasses. We have a, and we were accustomed to read the book of Kohelet every year in the synagogue. And one year I just couldn't keep my eyes open and I banged my head on the on the desk, on the table and broke my glasses. But that was enough for years ago. One year, about six, it was six years ago this uh, this fall, I, after coming home and again, not feeling I got my job, but I came home and said, there's not any more to this book. There must be something more than I can, I can get out of it. So I tried to just look at the book with the eyes of intertextuality, and suddenly there were parallels to the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, both linguistic parallels and thematic parallels that just jumped off the page. Um, so I started doing more research, and the insights, insights just kept on coming. I feel in a way that I do, almost that I didn't write the book, but I just kind of peeled away the covers of something that was already there. Would you begin now by orienting the audience to the book of Kohelet in terms of authorship and major themes? Absolutely. Um, authorship is an interesting question. Uh, I'd like to note that one of my interests is etymology. I've actually been writing a blog called Balashon, where I write about, in English about the etymology of Hebrew words for over 15 years. But when having an etymology, etymology, you need to be aware of what's known as the etymological fallacy, which where 
in etymological fallacies, we conflate origin with meaning. And they're very different questions. They're both interesting, but they're very different questions. So the question of when Kohelet was composed is complicated. The origin of Kohelet. Even among the Talmudic sages, there are endings that King Hezekiah composed it. Even, and that the men of the Great Assembly in the Second Temple period were involved in its editing. Um, and this can help explain uh, why it contains some words that were more common in both biblical Hebrew than in the, in the rest of the, uh, the, the Bible. And it also has some Aramaic and Persian influence words. But I'm not as interested in, in my in this book in the origin as I am in what, I, what was often referred to as the author's intent. So whoever composed it, there's no question in my mind that the book is intended to be read as authored by King Solomon. Uh, the book opens by saying it's the sayings of Kohelet, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, and then a few verses later says, I, Kohelet, was king of Israel and Jerusalem. The only son, son of David to become king was Solomon, and he was the only Davidic king to rule over all of Israel. So that gives the biographical sketch, which makes sense that Solomon would be the author as traditionally attributed. But even more importantly, um, Kohelet describes a wise king, many wives, very wealthy, who build extensively. And that those things are essential to the to the message and the character of Kohelet, and that fits Solomon to a T. And within that, there are four main themes, I'd say, of, of, of Kohelet. Much of what we do in life is futile. That is a theme that repeats of over and over again. Searching for knowledge does not often lead to a positive end. Death is inevitable. He's thinking about death a lot. And the righteous suffer while the wicked prosper. And Solomon certainly would have been a king who would have learned those lessons. So I think it is appropriate to attribute that Solomon, at least in terms of the way the book is meant to be read. So the subtitle of your book is A Map to Eden, which may sound surprising to many listeners. Tell us what you mean by this. Sure. Um, I early met, earlier mentioned linguistic parallels between Kohelet and the book of Genesis. The most obvious one of those is the repetition of the Hebrew word hevel, which is often translated as Futility or vanity. Anyone familiar with with Kohelet is going to know the word vanity. Everything is vanity. Everything is futility. And but that word Hebel is also the original Hebrew version of the name Abel, the son, the slain son of Adam. So I think that Kohelet is imagining or echoing or reflecting whatever verb you want to use, channeling what Adam would have thought, how what Adam would have how Adam would have described his life. Adam also searched for knowledge. He was eating, he ate from the tree of knowledge and were punished for doing so by God. And of all the punishments he received, the most dramatic of which was the introduction of death into the world. But who was the first human to die? It wasn't Adam. He was guilty for his, for his sin and wasn't his wife Eve. It was their son, Hevel, Abel. So the repetition of the word Hevel over and over again in the book of Kohelet is a chime of mourning of Adam for his lost son and for the guilt he feels for having you know, been responsible to wait for that death. Another punishment that Adam received after his sin was expulsion from the Garden of Eden. I call, therefore, I call the book a map to Eden because I think Kohelet and the other biblical passages that it's connected to, which I discuss in the book, provide a way back into Eden for us in a metaphorical sense, of course. It's a way to return to closeness with God uh, that they had in the Garden. David, what are some of the connections between Adam and King Solomon? They have a lot of parallels thematically. Um, they both had a uniquely universal scope. Adam, as the first human, represents all of humanity. 
and Solomon, the rich reputation, that was really the first Israelite to become universally known. They talk about how kings from the east of the south of the west all knew him. He was the one who was the pinnacle of, of universality in, 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 in the Bible. I think Adam and Solomon both had incredible potential, and they both had a very close uh, relationship with God. It was kind of a parallel. And they both had a very special connection to God's place. Adam having the Garden of Eden, Solomon having the temple that he built. However, as mentioned before about Adam, their search for knowledge eventually led to their downfall. Um, Solomon also was known as you know the wisest of men, but he was his search for knowledge of it described in the book eventually is what really kind of led to to the um, to his fall from from great fall from the kingdom, and eventually they were both exiled from that place. Adam was exiled from the garden. Solomon was exiled. He would uh, stop worshiping God. He worshiped gods of other people. He worshiped idols. He was, in a sense, left the temple that he built. And then, interestingly, they also both had tremendous division and strife in the generation to follow them. Adam was followed by Cain and Abel with their fighting. Solomon's son was fighting with um, uh, Jeroboam, who was his challenger. There's a lot of parallels, and I discussed those other parallels in, in the book. You also draw out parallels between Eden and Israel's sanctuary. Would you tell us about these? Sure. One of the things that I discovered in the book um, with other linguistic parallels that that uh, come across is that many of the commandments in the Torah, in the five books of Moses, come to teach us how to avoid those the failings that Adam had and then later Solomon had. Obviously, the, the Torah there uh, precedes Solomon, but it, it actually, those, those failings are endemic. And they meant they, uh, the commandments come to sort of help repair that those those problems. Um, and among them are many laws relating to the sanctuary, relating to the tabernacle. The sanctuary, like the Garden of Eden, was a place for man and God to meet. There, there are many linguistic parallels, and I'm not the first scholar to point this out. Uh, you can find many works of discussion, but I kind of tried to collect them in the book, a number of these parallels. Uh, linguistic parallels between the passage describing both the creation of the world and the Garden of Eden. With in both of Genesis, with the construction and the dedication of the sanctuary in Exodus of Leviticus, um, and this is another great example of intertextuality where you can see those parallels. That certainly in its in, or in Genesis and Exodus, you know, with a sim, within the same wider book, the the those intertextual parallels are very strong. Um, one example that you you know you and your listeners might be familiar with, obvious and obvious level is uh, the cherubim are in both. Right, you have the cherubs who who protect the Garden of Eden after Adam was expelled, and you have the cherubs who were present in, uh, above the ark in the sanctuary, but there are many, many more. Um, so in the book, I, I go into these things that I, I specifically focus on the Yom Kippur service, which is the highlight of the, the most special day in the year by the high priest. Um, and so in that time, on the Yom Kippur service, in the sanctuary, at the one time of the year after the sins are forgiven, the part of the service, the scapegoat, um, then a return to Eden is simulated. I describe how, in many, many ways, the um, the, the service on Yom Kippur kind of reverses the, uh, the Day of Atonement, reverses the sins, and it allows, for, for a brief moment, man to return to that pre-state of exile from from, um, uh, from Eden. And at that precious moment, man and God are close together again. What would you say is the message of Kohelet? Wow, okay. A heavy book. There's no question about that. Um, and it's a confusing book. So to take the message out, I think it's you have to remember that it's a it's meant to be confusing. As I mentioned before, it's kind of like with the way that a a father was not consolable after his son was 
you know, you wouldn't expect to go down. If you try to console a father like that, you would have a hard time expecting him to have a coherent structure. I don't think Coelho is trying to have a structure, but there are messages that come across through. Um, I think that the, the the real effort is actually at the, the very end of the book, um, where he says, Coelho says, this, the sum of the matter would all said and done, revere God, observe his commandments, but this applies to all mankind. Although, to be, no, I, there's some people who think that was just tagged on and it's different from the message of the book. I, I disagree. I think it's, it's, that is the message of the whole book. It's just a way of sort of uh, summarizing it in a, in, a, in, a, in a great statement at the end. And there's a lot to unpack in that verse about when all said and done, revere God, observe his commandments. But in the end, I think it's saying that you, you, Adam, Solomon, or any of us, we had an opportunity for a unique relationship with God. We need to do all we can to preserve that relationship. Adam didn't need to eat that one forbidden fruit. Solomon didn't need to build up his kingdom to the point that his core entanglements eventually led him astray. He had a special relationship with their creator. What could be worth more than that? You know, it's almost in a way that you might say, you know, a person who had a special relationship, you had a, had a close relationship with a spouse, and then the relationship went, you know, off the rocks and they, and they you know, they ended up praying and they, and they spread apart, but they really wish it hadn't happened. They regret the choices they made that led to that betrayal, that led to that, and they wish, you know, nothing was worth it, what they had done to lose that relationship, so even more so with the relationship with God. So I think that all of this basically saying, we look back at choices of regret uh, over our lives, we can look back at some of our mistakes and some of our choices of regret, and through Kohelet, Solomon is, is having an attempt to have a, learn, learn from his mistakes, learn from Adam's mistakes to be able to improve our own lives and our own relationship with God. That's really rich material. So, David, can you tell us about any other projects or books you're working on? Uh, sure. First of all, as I mentioned earlier, I write regularly about Hebrew etymology in English on my blog, Balashon. And I also periodically publish in journals uh, topics related to biblical uh, studies and Jewish philosophy. Those are things like I, a few times a year, I publish it in comments. I think they're, I think those all three of those are, are related to one another. Um, my next book project is actually something I started working on even before Koala. Koala just came to me when I that one day six years ago. But even before that, I started working on a book about why Abraham was chosen or why Abraham chose God. It's, it's an ambiguous statement that's not really clear within the book of Genesis. And I think a lot of lessons can be um, uh, learned about about that um, kind of un, when, you, when you unravel that mystery. Uh, it's something I'll hope to get back to after I'm, you know, I'm done promoting uh this book of Kohelet, I, I it's something that's a big uh, passion of mine, um, and I'll be happy to come back and discuss that uh, when, when it's published, by the way. David, this has been a fascinating look at Kohelet with you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for talking with me. I really appreciate it. Friends, you've been listening to New Books and Jewish Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. Until next time, goodbye.